Welcome to TW Now. I'm Scott Winnale. Today we're going to be talking about and trying to answer the question, does God hate science? Perhaps you've heard this question posed. Perhaps you've seen the arguments between science and scientists and creationists in, on the other side. We're going to try and talk about those things today. You've probably noticed as well that the media gets involved in this argument and tries to pit one against the other trying to create foes. A recent article in Explorable.com made the following observation. The rise in religious fundamentalism has been mirrored by a rise in scientific fundamentalism. Intelligent design versus evolution has become a battleground with each side drawing lines in the sand, refusing to take a backward step. If the media is to be believed, the rift between the two extremes is too extreme to be breached. Is this true or is there another truth behind all of this? We're going to talk about that today on TW Now with two individuals that I'd like to introduce to you. Both of these men have background and experience in presenting on the issues that we're talking about today and they also both have quite an interest personally in this subject. With me today is Mr. Gerald Weston. Mr. Weston is a Tomorrow's World presenter. He's a writer, he's a minister, and also Mr. Wallace Smith, also a Tomorrow's World presenter, writer, and minister. Gentlemen, welcome. It's good to have you here today. Thank you. Before we start, I would like to invite you, if you do have questions along the way, please pose them, post them, and we will try and get to those questions as we move through the show today. Well, gentlemen, looking at this topic, what do you think are some of the arguments that science uses to attempt to discredit God and the Bible? Well, you know, we say science uses these arguments, and, and really, when it comes to both science and belief in God, it boils down to people. The people who are conducting and, 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 and talking about science to the world uh, and those who are professing belief in God. And at least one of the things I often hear aren't actually things that have to do with God, but more about the people who profess belief in God and some of their knee-jerk reactions to some of the things they hear come out of the science community, whether it's uh, discussions of the Big Bang, uh, even these days more extreme things, people who will claim that uh, you know, they believe in a, in a flat earth. Uh, and they'll often use the arguments of these individuals when that really isn't about having a difference with God. It's really more having a difference with, uh, with the individuals themselves uh, and what they're proclaiming, I think, to be true. Okay. I think that, uh, as, uh, as you're explaining there, <clears throat> we have untenable positions on both sides. Uh, we have the young earth uh, creationists uh, who are trying to explain something that the Bible uh, doesn't require, and uh, science has clearly shown that there are huge holes in that. On the other side, we have scientists who uh, believe in macroevolution, where life came from non-living and that's every bit as untenable as some of the the uh, religious views uh, when you really look at the facts not what people think and so many people have gone through high school or uh, even college biology classes and they've been indoctrinated with evolution but they have not really looked at the new scientific evidence that's out there so you're describing that uh, science is actually able to poke some holes perhaps in some of the ideas that um, Bible-believing Christians throw out there. Do you have 
any idea why scientists might have issues? Besides just the science itself, are there underlying issues that um, some scientists, perhaps evolutionists, have that motivates them to want to try and discredit um, creation by a creator? Well, I think that there, there are plenty of reasons why. Uh, first of all, they look at what religion teaches and they see it as, as foolish and ignorant. Secondarily, uh, there's a, a verse in the Bible that says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but then there are the ways of death, but also that uh, the carnal mind, the physical fleshly carnal mind, is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. That's Romans 8, 7. And when you really look at it, a lot of these individuals want freedom. They want freedom from any kind of restraint uh, by a God of creation. Yeah, I, I would add that that's not to say that all scientists feel this way and certainly I know many scientists and read many scientists that, that uphold good moral values and, and believe in a you know, the value of family and trying to do right by your neighbor essentially but at the same time there is a, a draw to science as sort of a, a substitute uh, for religion in terms of the search for truth because it doesn't make any kind of moral demands on you. I think uh, uh, neurologist uh, Sam Harris, a good example of a scientist who has sort of jumped into the philosophical realm as well and tried to say that science itself can reveal morals to us. But then when you read his book, uh, one in particular, the, uh, the Moral Landscape, he essentially borrows from belief in God certain ideas of what are right and wrong and talks about how science can achieve, uh, can help us to understand the details of how to achieve some of those things. But he doesn't seem to recognize just how much he's actually borrowed and what he's cherry-picking. He's essentially saying, well, I'll take this from uh, the field of religion because it's good, but this, they say it's good, but I personally don't like it. We'll sort of shuffle that off. Uh, there is a desire, I agree with what uh -huh. Mr. Weston just said, there seems to be a desire for uh, moral freedom amongst many, and science by itself as a discipline doesn't really make any particular moral demands on you. You know, there was a uh, survey that was done in 2009 uh, with the Ad American Advancement for the Association, or American Association for the Advancement of Science. Mm -hmm. And interestingly, 51% of those surveyed said they did believe in, in God one way or another. 33% uh, more in a personal God as we would understand it, but 18% in just some sort of a, a greater cause out there. I, I find that very interesting because what it shows there is, first of all, all scientists are not against God. I think that's that's 51 percent. Now that's statistically right on the edge, but it shows that uh, that's not unusual. Secondarily, why do they believe in an impersonal God, a God that is just kind of a first cause out there? Well, it's either a a, uh, a distrust of religion as they have known it, as they have seen it come out, uh, mainstream Christianity as a whole, or they simply don't want somebody telling them what to do. But they have to admit, at least that 18% have to admit that there is an intelligence behind life in this universe. Yeah, that's interesting. <clears throat> uh, the media would have us believe, at least it feels like the media would have us believe that all science and all scientists are, are one thinking organism and they all come from one perspective. Yet you've probably studied and you've read and you've learned about scientists that really support alternative views to the mainstream evolutionary perspective. Yeah, I think one interesting individual was uh, Sir Isaac Newton. 
Um, now, I, I understand probably the argument is that, well, that was a long time ago. He didn't understand Darwin and all this sort of thing. But Sir Isaac Newton was a scientist, one of the greatest, if not the greatest science of, scientist of all time. And yet he also wrote a commentary on Daniel and Revelation, a very religious individual. Yeah, I'm actually still, uh, uh, Mr. McNair had mentioned on a previous episode to put some appropriate pressure on me, I think, but I'm working on finishing a booklet on evolution uh, that we hope to be able to offer in the very near future. And in my research on that, it's amazing how many scientists I've come across mm -hmm. that are really strong in their fields, whether it's paleontology, even genetics and chemistry and biology, who they themselves do not believe in the Darwinian evolution uh, program in terms of its explanation for how we came to be in life around us. Uh, and yet, you, that's just not what tends to make the news. That their, their voices are sort of ignored, it seems to me, in an attempt to make it seem as though there's a vast consensus when there really, there really no. isn't a consensus. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating that you do have these individuals who are, are stellar scientists, really. When you look at their curriculum, their, their academic resume, you look at their publications, you look at the funding that they've brought in, and frankly, you read what they write. In many cases, they write from a far less biased perspective than some of the others on the other side of the fence. Let me ask you, let's shift gears just a little bit. We talked a little bit about... Um, issues that some scientists may have with the Bible, with creation, with God. What are some of the issues that you're familiar with that uh, modern Christians, mainstream Christianity, particularly perhaps evangelicals, may have with science or some science? Well, I know one that, that I've come across, and I admit it's not just evangelicals, it's me too. And it's not really against science so much as much as those who practice it, is, is how I like to watch nature programs with my with my children, uh, you know, on PBS and, and other sources, and they'll speak as though we know this and we know that. And if you try to ask certain questions about evolution, is a kind of the popular example. They'll say, "Oh no, no, we're really very certain that, uh, say, for instance, natural selection and random mutation is more than sufficient for all of this to have happened." But then, when they start to discover possible alternatives, in particular, in, in, in my research, I came across a scientist who came across a very good alternative you know, theoretically, for how uh, evolution could take place and achieve perhaps greater gains in quicker time. But one of the things he says is, well, we've always known that natural selection and random mutation isn't sufficient. And I thought, well, then why have you been saying that random <laughs> mutation and natural selection is sufficient? And so there is this growing chorus of those who are frustrated with almost as if they've been lied to, as if, as if the facts aren't being honestly presented because they're afraid of what, frankly, those of us who do believe in a design will do with those things. And so I think many those in the, in the Christian community are frustrated by that because they want to feel like they're hearing something true, mm -hmm. but they feel like they're hearing more of a, an agenda. Mm -hmm. I think the, uh, the modern uh, discoveries in biochemistry, uh, micro microbiology specifically, have shown that the, the cell is incredibly complex. Uh, one of the things I often talk about in our Tomorrow's World presentations where we go out and speak to some of our subscribers is the, the, the kinesin or kinesin, kinesin, it's pronounced different ways by different individuals, but kinesin or kinesin, it, it's a little truck. And in our cells, in our, think how small our cells are. We have 40 different 
ones because each one carries a different cargo or a different type of cargo. It's like a trailer hitch mm -hmm. that, that will not carry every, every cargo. And they can only go one direction and they take a protein or uh, some other uh, uh, part of this, the cell that's been uh, made and they take it to the spot where it goes. It's like they have a mind to carry it to that spot. They can only go one direction and they travel faster than we do in a super highway if you, if you brought it up the same size. A uh, hundred steps a second. Now, I don't care how fast the runner is, there is no runner on the face of this earth as far as human beings that go a hundred steps a second. Uh, it's just absolutely incredible. But they, they go on these little microtubules and as uh, numerous scientists have pointed out, the cells are more complicated than any machine ever made by man and we are to assume that this just happened all by itself. There is no such thing as a simple cell and a lot of people are coming to understand that and it's really creating problems for science and the more they deny it, uh, the more their credibility is lost. So basically what you're talking about is this incredible complexity mm -hmm. on a subcellular level. It just doesn't make sense statistically even. Uh, the odds are against something like this evolving on its own. There had to be something else involved in creating mm -hmm. something this complex on such a small scale. I, I wouldn't want to compete with Mr. Smith as an actuary, former actuary. But statistically speaking, uh, it, it's just absolutely impossible. A, a, a protein. Now, a protein is what makes up uh, life in that sense. It's uh, mm -hmm. the, the amino acids make up the proteins. In order to create a single protein by chance, uh, the odds of, of a 200 string amino acid protein is one chance in uh, one with 260 zeros behind it. Now, when I read that and then read the next statement in Bryson's book that that's more atoms than exist in the known universe, I thought that can't be so. But Mr. Smith happened to be up in uh, uh, Mississauga, Ontario. And uh, so we, we had him look that up. And sure enough, it's estimated it's, it's one, uh, that uh, the number of atoms in the observable universe going out 46 million light years or uh, was a million or radius billion? of that yeah. billion billion yeah b with, b, the b. with a b okay uh it is 10 to the power of 82 only has well 78 to 82 and so when you think about that 82 zeros at the most as opposed to 260 for one single protein of which there may be as many as a million different kinds of protein it's, it's staggering it's just not going to happen yeah you're, you're in the realm of impossibilities absolutely there. <clears throat> what is the uh, statistically that when they say it's impossible you know people try to, to, to name it in different ways for instance for some studies they'll say if something is uh, has the odds against it of say 19 out of 20 against it 1 in 20 they'll say that's just really improbable uh, theoretically there's no definition of impossible um, but rather when you do look at numbers like that you see that the, calling that anything other than impossible just doesn't make any sense yeah, yeah. I'm gonna ask you another question we've got a question online that I think you can answer and I'm gonna pose the question and then I want to interrupt real quick to address our audience here the question is do you think higher education is biased against spiritual or religious based explanations and I would add higher education or public education in general mm. um, but if you're just joining us now I want to welcome you to TW now today we're talking about the topic of does God hate science? So you've, you've jumped in on an interesting one and I 
hope you'll find it interesting as we go forward and in just a minute begin to get into a few answers to some of these questions. So back to that question, do you think there's a, a bias uh, in education in general today against religious explanations? Yeah, I would say so. I, I was a public school teacher uh, for a number of years before I became an actuary and before I was, I was hired into the ministry. And I enjoyed talking about those sorts of matters with my students, but I was under some pretty strict controls. I could only talk about matters that were, say, biblical or spiritual if it was prompted by a question from the student to me personally. Uh, there seems to be this idea that, that God can't be brought into the discussion to the point that even some of our history classes were being impacted because the teachers were wondering can they mention the fact that what motivated some of the explorers wasn't just simply gold or, uh, or land for their nation, but also actually a god, their religious feelings. Mm -hmm. And this was back in the late 90s. They were wondering, can we mention that religious motivation without violating the sense that we somehow shouldn't? And I thought, well, that's just unusual, because now you're talking about altering the sense of what has historically happened. So I would say there's such a bias. Sure. I, I think it's without a doubt there is a bias. Now, I do believe that there are a lot of fair-minded teachers out mm -hmm. there, professors, who would like to teach other things. But look at the court system. Uh, we can teach a theory called evolution mm -hmm. that uh, we somehow came from non-living material, but we can't teach intelligent design. Um, and I understand part of the problem of that, again, is the young earth, uh, earthers out there that have mm -hmm. created a, a problem. But, uh, you know, you look at the, the people that uh, are being discriminated against in these universities, you can't even speak on certain subjects. Dr. Miriam Grossman wrote the book, Unprotected, and she's talking about the health services at UCLA where she worked as a psychiatrist, mm -hmm. and she is very very dogmatic about the fact that there are certain opinions you can express, certain ones you cannot express, and very clearly any kind of morality is, uh, is just simply not allowed. And I appreciate his mention of intelligent design. I think that's a wonderful test case mm. because the intelligent design movement generally doesn't specify a particular designer. The designer could be, and I've even heard Richard Dawkins admit this possibility uh, in spite of himself, that you know, the designer could be some pimply alien teenager in another universe just running a simulation on some powerful computer and they were okay with that but it's amazing how they Richard Dawkins in a discussion immediately had to move to but if that were the case we wouldn't have to obey that teenager we wouldn't have to do what he said yeah. but here you have uh, professors it's been documented in many cases mm -hmm. uh, such as Ben Stein's Expelled and, and some uh, some documentaries like that where these people have expressed just simply the concept that there must be intelligence in the design of life mm -hmm. without specifying who or what, and yet they've been censored, uh, they've been shuffled off to other departments or out. So is there a bias? I think it's fairly well documented there yeah. is. I'm, I have to jump in here with a personal anecdote. Um, a number of years ago, I was teaching at a major state university, and they actually a group on campus had invited an intelligent design uh, presenter to come in really? and present on the campus. And there was quite a hullabaloo amongst the faculty in a faculty listserv at that time, uh, debating whether they should, biology faculty, science faculty, should they allow their students to go to this wow. or, or not. And there really was a consensus among the science faculty, no, we don't want our students going to this event. And it, for me as an instructor, as a teacher at a university that, uh, universities in this country typically have been bastions of free speech. Uh, 
why wouldn't you want to send your students to that even if you didn't believe in it and then you could bring them back to your class and point out all of the problems with these theories right. but they were so close-minded that let's not even send our students there let's actually tell them not to go right. I was I was struck by that not surprised overly but uh, it sort of plays into that idea or is there a bias right. uh, I think so as well Let's, let's move on to some, some answers here. As we think about the topics we've discussed, we've, we've talked about um, sort of perspectives of some of science. We've talked about perspectives of, of some of religion. What do you think are some examples of how the Bible and science actually coalesce? How, how do they fit together? Does the Bible actually validate some science? Does some science actually add validity to the scripture itself? Well, I, I certainly think it does. I think the fact that scientists try as hard as they might can't seem to get away from the idea that evidence points to the universe having a beginning. All the ideas they've come up with in terms of oscillating universes, we were talking about some of those earlier, uh, the multiverse idea. If you look at, the, say, the uh, uh, the work that they've done, the research they've done, uh, it highlights that even in those cases there had to be some beginning point. And of course those who believe in what the Bible says in the book of Genesis have believed that from the beginning. The beginning. Have believed in the beginning. Uh, I think it's a wonderful confirmation. In fact that's part of the reason it's called the Big Bang is because it was called that derisively by someone who was trying to dismiss the theory saying so you're just saying all of this came out of some sort of big bang and ended up sticking because that is indeed the all the best evidence we have does point to the fact that the universe came seemingly from nothing which is impossible and so what did it come from so I think that's just at least one area of agreement scientifically impossible or impossible uh, impossible materialistically uh, that everything has to have a cause uh, the question is that causes is outside of their reach okay Hebrews 11 1 or 11 11 2 I guess it is uh, talks about the fact that that we, we in faith we believe that all things uh, the visible came from the invisible I'm paraphrasing it rather roughly here but that goes right back to the same same question in the beginning uh, we, we do believe there was a beginning the Bible very clearly says there was and uh, science can come up with no other theory uh, that really sticks. They do come up with multiverses, as you wrote on some years ago. But <clears throat> when we come to the actual facts, uh, there is a beginning. And I, it kind of bothers me that a lot of religious people think of the Big Bang as being the enemy. And when in reality, it is one of the greatest allies that we do have on the faith side of things, because it is saying science does agree with the Bible in that particular case. Right. I'm actually a uh I've just finished an article for the September-October Tomorrow's World magazine about the fine-tuning of the universe. That's another thing that is a, it's a conundrum for scientists currently. They have different approaches they're trying to, uh, to bring to bear to explain it. But science has wonderfully demonstrated that the universe in which we live is sort of like a, a Goldilocks situation where it's, it's a bed that's just right and it's porridge that's just right. If you look at so many of the constants that govern the forces of the universe and the different laws, 
it really does seem, and they've actually called it themselves the fine-tuning problem, that everything has been finely tuned within these super narrow parameters to allow life like ours to exist. Uh, and there's no good explanation. They were hoping to find a set of laws that would make life sort of inevitable and obvious. Mm -hmm. And instead what they find is that it seems like life exists on a knife's edge uh, that really had any one of these varied by even the slightest, we wouldn't be here. And I think that's it may be confounding to them, but at the same time, I think it's a wonderful uh, a place of agreement between science and, and faith. Yeah, you know, uh, gravity is one of those mm -hmm. things that's talking about there as far as, far as fine-tuning goes. Uh, if it was a little bit stronger, a little bit weaker, and, and the the amount of strength or weakness is really fine-tuned, and that's just one of dozens if not hundreds of factors. Right, like if gravity were uh, stronger uh, you'd have bar uh, stars burning hotter and faster mm -hmm. and more irregular uh, and not burning long enough for life to take place. At the same time if gravity were a little weaker you wouldn't have the gas being pulled in strongly enough to even truly ignite the stars. Mm -hmm. So yeah that's just really one of, of, of so many. And that's really gravity on a, a stellar scale. Mm -hmm. uh, gravity changing even on the Earth itself would cause all kinds of issues. And the atomic uh, attraction, uh, again, for, for atoms to exist uh, has to be very finely tuned. Very much so. Here's a question that relates to the context that we're talking about. This is a question posted by someone in the audience. Is there scientific proof God is real? How, how do you answer that? How do we answer that in relation to both what science says and, and what the scripture says? Well, if I can answer math-wise, uh, the word proof always troubles me. Even we have a wonderful book that The Real God Proofs and Promises, which I highly recommend. But if you're saying proof in terms of mathematical proof, there's always an excuse that someone can make. I've seen people try to ignore the Bible by saying part of why it's so coherent uh, and amazing is because time travelers or possibly aliens were uh, involved in putting it together. So you can always come up with some kind of excuse. But if you think of proof in terms of, say, weighing the evidence, like in a court case, and you're looking at here's the evidence for and here's the evidence against, I think that very strongly the evidence from, from the fields of science weighs absolutely in favor of the existence of a God to the point you'd actually have to really ignore a great amount of that evidence to conclude otherwise. Mm. I think they call it divine inference. In other words, when you weigh all the, all the uh, factors out, um, the fact that there's a God, and I think it's very interesting that Anthony Flew, who was an atheist for 50 years, eventually came to the conclusion there had to be some sort of a divine influence. Now, he didn't believe in God the way that we do, at least not at the beginning. I think he, he evolved he, on that. But uh, he, he thought of the Christian God or the Islamic God as a cosmic Saddam Hussein, I think is the way he expressed it. But he had to come to the conclusion based on the evidence that he could look at that yes, there is an intelligence behind life and behind the universe. Yeah, he was a notorious atheist, uh, wrote the book There Is a God uh, Before He Died, and uh, many of those who were champions of his, uh, because he was a powerful atheist in, in, in earlier in his life, 
were trying to say, oh, well, he's, he's 80-something mm -hmm. years old. He's being manipulated by people. And he was irate at that. He, he did work with someone writing his book, but he went on uh, interviews and he wrote letters saying, look, I'm an old man. I did get some help writing the book, but these are my ideas. These are my conclusions. And you can't avoid the existence of a divine mind. And he, he said his principle was to follow the evidence where it leads, mm -hmm. and ultimately that's where it led him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fascinating to me that you got scientists, uh, and again, not all scientists, but scientists who really espouse the scientific method, which is a systematic way of asking a question, posing a question, looking for data, for information to support or to discredit that question. And, and they really want to stick to that, yet when it comes to questions like this, what about a creator, what about a creation, um, things are thrown out the window for some of the reasons that we've talked about earlier. Good. One, uh, I think that's thing that's very interesting about science and scientists. Um, they they always want to have the the evidence, the facts. I did a program some years ago for Hong Kong, uh, a scientific um, approach toward morality, and what I find very interesting, and and this is one of the proofs that that God exists is what God has laid out for us in terms of morality, uh, sex within a marriage, a monogamous marriage and so forth. If people looked at the evidence for God's way as opposed to the way that many of these scientists want to live their lives, and I say many, not all by any means, but some of them uh, being very uh, uh, wanting to be free of any kind of morality, they would have to conclude that God's way is the way that works and their way is, is fraught with all kinds of uh, problems and difficulties. Mm. Interesting. We, this, is, uh, this has been a fascinating discussion. It's frustrating to me on one level because we're just scratching the surface on a topic we really could talk about for hours. As we look back over our discussion though in the last almost 30 minutes now, what do you think are some of the take-home messages that we want to leave our audience with? What, what are some of the, the things that we want to keep in mind as we consider this topic in the future, as we try and sift through some of what the media throws mm. at us? Well, I think one thing that I would hope our, our viewers would take away with is, is, is the idea that we don't need to be anti-science just because we believe in God. I feel like uh, some people have embraced that, that idea, which many atheists would want us to embrace, which is that it's God on one side and science on the other, and that's exactly the topic today. Just cast that aside. The Bible says in Proverbs that it's the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it's the glory of kings to search out a matter. And really, science, pure science, when it's done right, it really is a seeking after truth, an investigation of the world that God has created to just sort of, like a car, open up the hood and see how it works. And, and don't, don't shun scientists. Recognize there's a lot of different ideas. It's a human endeavor, and so it's full of a lot of biases. It's certainly full of, uh, of other flaws, those who pursue it. But don't throw it out entirely. Uh, it really is a a wonderful aspect of, uh, I mean, how much of our life has been enriched by it. Uh, don't be afraid of it. Uh, learn to embrace it. It really is done right. It's, it's a search for truth, even if people make their mistakes. Hmm. I think it's sad that evolution has confused the whole idea of science. Again, Isaac Newton was a scientist. Uh, Solomon was a botanist, you might say. Uh, he, he was very much into that sort of thing. God wants us to explore. He wants to, to, us to see. The earth is positioned in the 
the uh, solar system, not the solar system, but the universe, not the, the universe, the galaxy. 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 I'll, I'll get it right here, three tries. <laughs> uh, the galaxy in such a way that we can explore the universe. If it were much more in the center, there'd be too much light, we wouldn't be able to see out. It is interesting that the, the uh, moon is 400 times what, uh, it, it, it's 400 uh, times closer to the Earth, and it's just the right size that we can see the corona during a full eclipse, mm -hmm. and we can explore. So God wants us to explore. He wants us to be able to learn from these things. And I think it's kind of sad that, that evolution has muddied the whole picture, but I think it's also sad that religion has muddied the picture by false doctrines that, that do not match what the Bible actually says and cause people to ridicule it. I've used the example of my Uncle George on a number of occasions, who was an atheist. But he, he knew some of the doctrines of uh, Christianity, and he knew where they came from. They didn't come from the Bible, they came from, from uh, paganism and so forth. Mm. So really being aware. Of I think people have to study for themselves and prove these things. Yeah, it seems like if we listen Depending on where we listen, uh, we're going to hear different answers and be pushed in different directions. So listening with that open ear and, and that eye for, for truth that you're talking about is really important. Well, gentlemen, I want to thank you today for being here on the show, for expressing some ideas and some really helpful uh, um, perspectives. And I hope that all of you have found it interesting as well. If you are interested, we do have two booklets that you might want to look up on our website, tomorrowsworld.org. Uh, one is on the real God, proofs and promises. The other is on the Bible factor fiction. These are not scientific booklets, although they do touch on science, different branches of the sciences, to give you some things to think about in regard to the legitimacy of the Bible, of the God of the Bible, and actually using science in some of these cases to support that. Uh, science and God really are not at odds as some would have us believe. So I hope you'll take that away with you. So as we wind down, if you want more answers to questions like these, we do encourage you to visit our tomorrowsworld.org website or and or visit us again next week here on TW Now.